I have a firm belief that March is the best month of the year. I have several reasons for why I believe that it's the best month of the year. Um, but one of the reasons that I believe it is the best month of the year is because of today and St. Patrick's Day. Um, my family is, my dad's side of the family is very Irish. Uh, we, they like to say that they're 100% Irish, um, but there is a great-grandmother from Germany that my mom informed me about when I got into my 20s after I had told people for years that I was 50% Irish, that she said, you're actually not. <laughs> and apparently this great-grandmother was loved dearly, but we're still, it's still unclear how she got into the family. On our, my family's trip to Ireland a couple years ago, we went from the eastern part of the country to the western part of the country, and we had left this little town in the middle called Kilkenny, which is a beautiful, beautiful uh, town. And we were driving, and we finally entered County Tipperary, which is kind of in the central, south central part of Ireland, and that is where the Gleasons are from. And so the minute that we saw our first Gleason sign, we had to jump out of the car and take a picture. And so this is my happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. Uh, this is Gleason Goldsmith in County Tipperary, Ireland. Um, Gleason, you'll notice, is spelled correctly. Unlike the road, the road is spelled incorrectly according to my family. So happy St. Patrick's Day to all of you uh, this morning as well. We are in this sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount, and a couple months ago, I was sitting right back there listening to Emily preach and talk about loving your enemies, and I found myself sitting in my seat just getting a little, having a little bit more movement and getting a little bit more antsy. And as I've sat and listened to other sermons since then, I have also found myself being a little bit antsy in my chair. And I realized that that antsiness is conviction. Because Jesus offers us this rich and meaty way to live as we talk through this sermon that he gives and that is convicting because if I have chosen to be a disciple of Jesus, then I don't live according to the world anymore and I don't live according to myself anymore. I live according to Jesus and I mimic him and center my heart with him first and then out of that center my life and all that comes out of me as well. In the Sermon on the Mount, he outlines this upside down world a way to live that is very contrary to the ways of this broken world. And the last couple weeks, the text has challenged us in the ways in which we think. And it reminded me of one of my favorite verses in Romans 12, where, God, where Paul tells us, urges us, that in view of God's mercy, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God, and to not conform to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. What goes on inside our heads is incredibly important to God. And so often people want to focus on our external behavior because they think it's, what out, what, it's what outside, it's what's outside that matters, or it's the easiest to control but God talks extensively about our mind and letting our minds be transformed by the renewing of his spirit. When we let the Holy Spirit take over in our minds, we have different outputs 
in our lives. And when our hearts are centered on Jesus, we can live the way he teaches us to live. This morning is going to be no different. That it starts with our state of mind before it translates into our outward behavior, but so often we want to look at the outward behavior first. We're in Matthew chapter 7. If you are following along in the Matthew study guide, we're on page 34. I'm breaking with tradition this morning and using my NIV Bible. But we are in verse 1 here that says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use, it will be used to you. One of the most quoted verses in Scripture, I think. But more often than not, taken very much out of context. Even people who have never read the Bible know this verse, don't they? Do not judge, or you too will be judged. It becomes a fixated stance for people to defend how they choose to live their lives. You can hear them say it, can't you? Don't judge me, or you too will be judged. You can't judge me. What right do you have to judge me? A lot of times when people say that, it comes with a lot of attitude as well. What they're interpreting is that I get to live however I want, and you can't say anything about it. But that's not how this verse is meant to be used. There are a couple things that we need to understand when we're looking and studying Scripture. One is we have to understand the context. Our former senior pastor, John Crosby, always used to say that Scripture without context is pretext, which means I just get to make up whatever I want. I'm going to take it out of context, and I'm going to give it meaning how it best suits me. And two, the best way to, to interpret Scripture is with other Scripture. Craig Groeschel says that you shouldn't build a theology based on feelings or your personal understanding. You build a theology based on the totality of what God says in his word. And if we only take scripture at face value and we don't try and understand what he's saying and why he's saying it, then we miss the point. Do not judge or you too will be judged is a different kind of command when you put it in context. I think these couple of verses of scripture challenges us with the question, do you take scripture out of context for your own practical purposes? Or do you, with humility, let the text speak as intended? We're going to find out why Jesus says not to judge in the next few verses. He goes on and he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Every group of religious leaders and scholars in the day thought that they had figured it out of how to get people to correctly be right with God. And each group then tried to project their understanding and their focal point of the law onto other people. The Pharisees, 
who were sitting listening to Jesus in this moment relied on their behavior and their self-righteousness to proclaim to the world that they were living the law out correctly. And they had a tendency of this hardline pressure to create this moral climate in which everyone looked at everyone else to see if they were keeping their standards up. There was this sense of moral one-upmanship. N.T. Wright says that Jesus is referring not to the official law courts, but to the judgments and condemnations that occur within ordinary lives as people set themselves up as moral guardians and critics of one another. They were the self-appointed guardians of other people's lives, so they pointed out everyone else's moral failures and personal mishaps. If they were walking around today, it would probably be the denominational differences. They would give you feedback on your clothing choices, parenting decisions, financial matters, and friend circumstances. They gave this to people they didn't know, they weren't in relationship with, and without any consideration for their own personal issues. They puffed themselves up and acted like nothing was wrong with them. Their judgment was from a place of self-righteousness. It was completely hypocritical. The judging of faults begins with oneself. And so that's why Jesus uses this exaggerated metaphor of a plank and a speck, where he says, don't point out the speck in your, in your brother's eye when you have a plank in yours. It has to start with ourselves. There was no space for self-examination. No one wanted to step back and look at their own issues and what they had going on in their own lives. They only wanted to point out what was going on in the lives of others. And that always causes division and broken relationships. I am an oldest child. That should be plank number one, just kidding. And (laughs) although I would like to tell you that I'm not that much of a perfectionist. I am a perfectionist. And I have used that as an excuse to be the speck pointer outer of my sister's life for her entire life. (laughs) I am the self-appointed curator of her behavior. So when she was little, I made sure to tell an adult the moment she spilled even one Cheerio on the floor. As she got older, I would judge her friend choices, what she did with her time, what she wore, what she said at family gatherings, and it was so hypocritical of me. I was so quick to point out the speck in her eye. I was quick to comment when I thought she was out of line. I was quick to jump when I thought she wasn't doing something right. I walked around as if there was nothing coming out of my own eye. But when you try and get close to someone with a plank coming out of your own eye, what do you think happens? It can cause a lot of damage. I'm going to be careful setting this down. 
That's what happens when we condemn someone or judge them without looking at the plank in our own eye and try and deal with the speck in theirs. There's so much that can be at the root of judgment, self-righteousness, defensiveness, insecurity, ego. But when you break it down, all of those reasons lead back to a lack of trust in Jesus' work in my life, in the lives of those around me, and in the world. I judge people because they drive too slow, as if I am the perfect driver. That judgment comes from the plank of ego in my own life. I judge other churches and pastors as if I work for the one church who is doing everything right. That plank is a plank of defensiveness and always wanting to be the best, which is a lack of humility. I have a lot of opinions about a lot of things, and those opinions are frequently spoken and not always from the posture of empathy and understanding. Most of the time, they are born out of the plank of misunderstanding and insecurity. The posture of this type of judgment comes from this place of censorship and one-upmanship, and it is very hypocritical. And Jesus says that we should not judge from that posture. There must be self-reflection and self-examination in our lives when we are following Jesus. We need to lay our lives down before him to be transformed in the renewing of our minds and our hearts. Where do you need to let Jesus work and move in your life? What is the plank in your own eye? Matthew 6, verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear them to pieces. Sometimes Jesus really makes us dig for meaning when he's talking. And so what do I do when that happens is I generally turn to someone who's smarter than me and ask their opinion on it. And scholars are divided in what this verse means and how it relates to the previous five verses. Some scholars don't believe that it relates at all. Dallas Willard thinks that these two verses are saying that we should not take what we think is valuable and give it to those who have no use for them. Pigs would think that if you are throwing something into their pig pen, you are throwing them food. And when they realize that pearls are not actually food, they become irritated and trample them. Willard goes on to say that we should be careful about throwing things to people that we think are of great value, our opinions, our judgments, when actually they are worthless to them. In our arrogance, we think we are giving valuable things to others when in fact we are not giving them what they need and it does not fill their souls at all. When we approach people with judgments and opinions that they didn't ask for, we are more often than not 
devaluing them and tearing them down instead of building them up. When we judge others, we are assuming the posture of God instead of the posture of humans. And that is why this is so serious to Jesus. Scott McKnight comments that sometimes Bible readers read the story so often and are so familiar with it that they think they are in the story and they are God. What we need to learn is that entering into the story's perspective does not make us God and does not make us like God. We appoint ourselves to be the keeper and communicator of all truth to any person who might need it, even if they never asked for it. And this is easily done with people we do know and with people we don't know. When you are a follower of Jesus, you are not self-appointed to judge anyone. So the kid at school that you continue to hear things about, the coworker who just can't seem to get his life together, the neighbor who just moved in and started going to that church, the parent who lets their kids watch that show or eat that food or go to that party. This is real in our lives, isn't it? Do you know it took nothing for me to come up with these examples? Because this is so pervasive in our lives. Not just to the Pharisees, but to the teachers, to the people who have sat in these pews since we built them, to the people who just walked in the door for the first time this morning. Jesus, he doesn't condemn us. He invites us to live another way. Who is the person or people that you frequently want to give your opinion or condemnation to because you think they're doing it wrong? Who is the group that you look at and shake your head? John Wesley said that judging, the judging that Jesus condemns here is to think about another person in the way that is contrary to love. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds and let that flow into your actions. I do believe that this text still opens a door and leaves room for the question, so is there a place for judgment in the Christian life? And I believe the answer is yes. But it comes through relationship and humility and empathy and love. James, the brother of Jesus, implies in James chapter 2 that judgment of others must be done with mercy. And Galatians 6 says that if someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently and to carry each other's burdens. God invites us to come alongside each other in our journeys with Christ. And when we do, there is room to lovingly and gently give people our opinions when they're covered in discernment and wisdom and humility. There are several people in my life who have every right to approach me if they see something that needs attention. And there are plenty of things that need attention. But they do it with a posture of love, knowing that they are not God in my life, 
believing the best about me in spite of my blind spots and wanting me to fully live into who God has created me to be. In the same way, I have permission to speak into the lives of a few people as well. And in my role here at church, I am frequently asked by students to give them advice. And sometimes that advice comes with redirection for their lives because of some behavior they're engaging in or way they're treating someone else. But they know that when I tell them something of a corrective nature, it is because I want the absolute best for them. And I want them to experience Jesus to the fullest. Do not judge doesn't mean that we don't have standards for living when we're following Jesus. It's not licensed to live any way you want. The whole sermon series has outlined that when we choose to be a disciple of Jesus, we are called to live in a way different than the rest of the world. Do not judge means that you don't get to play God in the lives of other people. Judgment is so often a lack of awakeness to the lives of others, to our own brokenness, and to the work of Jesus in the world. Sometimes we need to be reminded that rarely do we ever have the full story with people. So it's time for us as Jesus followers to lay down judgment and to take up humility. When we take up humility, we are defined by a self-awareness and an other's awareness that is shaped by a God awareness. Bob Goff is one of my favorite authors and speakers, and he says, we'll know when we're growing, when our love for people dwarfs our opinions about them. What judgment do you need to lay down? And where in your life do you need to take up humility? Let's pray. Jesus, this is a hard topic. It's hard because it's so real. It's hard because there's not one of us who doesn't deal with this. Jesus, I pray that you would move in our hearts and our lives, that you would transform us, that, Father, that we would be so connected to you that we would see people the way you see them, that we would see them with your eyes and your love. Lord, help us to be a people who celebrate each other and lift each other up and not be a people who judge each other. Thank you for inviting us to step into a different way of living. Thank you for not condemning us or shaming us. You are a great and powerful God. In your name we pray. Amen.